Hey guys, Erin Jane here. Just wanted to jump on quickly and remind you that this is part two of my conversation with Mr. Travis Gribble, founder of My Arena. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I implore you to go back and listen to that episode first. As Travis's story and experience is compelling, raw, and important to understand in its entirety. Part two picks up where part one left off. So go listen if you haven't already. Otherwise, please enjoy episode six, part two of my conversation with the inspirational Travis Gribble. I will hold space for your darkness, a first responder mental health podcast hosted by me, Erin Jane, where we have conversations about what it's like to perform a first responder role and the mental health challenges that can accompany it. Um, I know we bit off on a tangent, so I apologize about that. Um, I sort of want to want to go back to um, obviously, you know, challenging job, and and you kindly spoke about how like the ways that you were kind of trying to cope, and and obviously they were fairly maladaptive. Um, at what point did you realize something was truly wrong in? regards to going like or your mindset changing to go I actually need to go get some help or I need to go talk to someone like was there one moment one instance what what happened made yeah that's that whole getting me to that step is a long process but I first actually went to go get help um in 2017 because I I knew that something wasn't right but I so I went to our peer officer um, which is, you know, I don't know if you know what peer is, but like, yeah, it's support for, support, yeah. 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 And, um, I lied to him because I just said, Hey, been through a divorce. I've got child custody issues with my ex-wife. I just need to, who do we go see? And yeah. so he told me this name and it was actually someone that was employed, you know, some departments, they like have paid members that do the therapy and all that. So yeah. I took this name and I went and it quite honestly, Aaron, it was a shitty experience. Um, and then I also, my ownership, I was not telling him everything because I was kind of yeah. feeling things out to see if, you know, what this was going to be like. And yeah, I mentioned about, you know, thinking that I was drinking too much. I mentioned about sleep, but I didn't tell him night terrors. And he just said like, well, why don't you just not drink on the days that you're working? And then, you know, sleep, Travis, sorry. Um, you know, you chose this career shift work sucks. You're working night shift just real nonchalant. Right. So I was like, all right. So, um, it kind of was a, uh, a double-edged sword because I would leave there. I'm like, well, I guess what I'm doing is okay. I'll just keep pushing along. I went in a total of four times. And then the, the last time is when I disclosed about Ruby mm-hmm. and I've seen all of his notes because when I put in for my retirement, I had to provide all this shit from every therapist that I've been to. And oh, okay. He, he just put in quotations, distressed about girl and bag. And then it was a total intake form of like, Hey, you should, you know, the forms like, yeah, recommend EMDR, recommend CBT, recommend time off from work, nothing. And then his thing was uh, told to come back when he's feeling stressed again. And that's all I got. So I walked out there. I know I walk out of there. I'm like, fuck this. I'm done with therapy. I didn't have a good, who could blame you? Yeah. 
I didn't have a good impression of therapist to begin with. So this kind of fed into it. So I was like, fuck it. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing when I'm yeah. stressed drink. Um, I guess I'm just having panic attacks. I guess that's just normal. Suck it up, keep going. And then in 2018, then I get the word that I'm going to go back to the team. And so I'm like, okay, this is what I need. I need to just get away from the streets, get yeah. back with my brothers and, yeah. um, all will be fine and dandy, but that wasn't the case. I, you know, we were busier than ever. Um, and then also, um, my wife and I, now we got married in 2017 and she actually, mm -hmm. she was a police officer in Mesa as well. Okay. And she worked, um, internet crimes against children. So of course they have to wow. deal with all the nasty stuff. And her unit was the only unit at Mesa that was required to go see a therapist once per quarter. Okay. Which is good. And they, they deserved yeah. it. Um, but um, they were actually going to see that person that I was had a terrible, mm. did not like him either. And in fact, yeah. <laughs> this is, it's disgusting, but funny. Um, <laughs> then the nail in the coffin was, as one of her partners was in there in, in session and he stopped the session to take a phone call on a real estate deal in the office. Oh yeah. It was fucked up. Oh my so, God. So, yeah. So they said, nope, we are not going to go anymore unless we can find somebody else. So they ended up finding um, this organization called Public Safety Crisis Solutions. And that's where Jennifer Cooper, that I, you mm -hmm. know, was my therapist that I now, you know, speak with, um, she was located and they started to go see her. So my wife was in the background through all this like, you need to go see Jen. You need to go see Jen. We yeah. love him. I knew her partners, a couple old salty guys that I never would I would think would go to therapy. And they're like, no, they love her too. Yeah. But Aaron, I just kept pushing it off, to be quite honest with you. Mm -hmm. And it was very easy to say I was busy because as a team leader, I mean, we were yeah. working not. Yeah, just and that that was definitely one of my coping mechanisms because I felt most comfortable when I was at work, when I was at home is when all this shit started rambling. It's where I drank more. Um, so yeah. me being at work was an easy way to mask or try to mask all my shit. Yep. So, yeah. And I mean, if you're ready for me to go there, yeah, I pushed it all the way until, um, 2021 until my last day of work. Is there anything you want to ask about that? Or you want me to go into how that all happened? No, you can just, just keep going. Okay. So, yeah. So all the shit was, was, um was piling up. And I finally, in January of 2021, I told my wife, I said, Hey, I'll go see Jen. So I made an appointment and I had had some other breakdowns. Like in the fall of 2020, I was in Michigan and Ohio visiting family with Emily, my wife, mm -hmm. and just a couple random, just telling someone that I had no business telling about Ruby and just lost it, just blubbering, mm -hmm. sobbing. So like shit was adding up. Yeah. Um, and I was having, you know, cry sessions all the time by myself, like driving in the car. Just, I knew it wasn't good. Yeah. And so I said, okay, I'll make this appointment. Well, when I made the appointment, um, you know, I didn't tell Jen that I was in crisis or anything like that. She, she's like, all right, the next appointment I have was in March. Um, which, you know, I just said, I, I think I probably need to get someone, you know, or see someone. So I was real nonchalant about it. Yeah. So, um, no shit. This is on a Monday in 2021. I was team leader, obviously, at this point. 
I was pulling into Jennifer's um, parking lot to go for my first session mm-hmm. and a, a suspect barricade situation mm-hmm. kicked off back in Mesa. Yeah. And so that's easy for me because I'm like, oh, cool. I don't have to go. Uh, <laughs> so I get a hold of Jen. I canceled the appointment and I raced back to Mesa. Uh, we handled, you know, ended up having to use gas and stuff. Pretty typical for us on the suspect, getting him out in custody. No big deal. Yeah. And then we go home. And then about, uh, I was home for like 45 minutes. And I get a call from Lieutenant uh, one of our SWAT lieutenants saying that there was a hostage rescue uh, call that was kicking off. And the call circumstances were that is, um, a, and this was in a nice area of Mesa. We had some very nice, well-to-do east side of Mesa neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. This little girl had exited her house and ran over the neighbors. She had been shot um, in the arm and her arm was almost severed and she had been badly beaten. And she told the neighbors, a suspect is my dad. And inside the house is still my mom and 18-year-old sister. So I'm getting this information and like, yep, this is probably going to be a hostage rescue. And so we all, obviously the whole team's going there. And um, there's a couple different types of hostage rescues that can happen as far as the planning goes. There's either either what's called a deliberate plan, which means like I have hours I'm on scene, we're negotiating blah, 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 or there's a hasty or emergency, which means, hey, shit's kicking off. I don't have time to plan. We just got to go do the work. Yep. And so I've kind of figured that's what this was going to be because he had already committed violence and he was inside with people. So yeah, uh, sure enough, get there, get a little bit more information. And uh, we go, we come up with a plan to go to the back of the house, um, uh, shotgun breach on the patio door, drop the glass and make entry yep. and inside. We find um, a male uh, deceased, uh, obvious deceased with gunshot wound to the head. And then on the other side of the couch in this great room was a female that turns out to be mom, obvious deceased with gunshot wound to the head. Scene's pretty horrific. There's a lot of blood and it wasn't registering with me why there was so much blood away from the bodies. Mm -hmm. It turns out it was that little girl. She was ended up. What happened at the top of the stairs is he comes after her, uh, beats her heavily. She falls to the ground. He shoots. She's really a hero little girl. She's nine years old. She played dead. And so we believe that he probably thought she was dead, so didn't keep shooting. And when he went back downstairs, um, she kind of snuck out of the house. But as she's traveling outside the yeah. house, there's blood everywhere. Yeah. So we work our way clear the bottom stairs, go upstairs. I end up in a room uh, with my best friend and just a warrior SWAT guy, just done everything. Mm-hmm. And we clear in this room, but unfortunately in the bed was 18-year-old sister, obvious deceased with gunshot wound to the head. My buddy, I'm immediately as we get it cleared and he kind of looks down, I see him. I see emotion starting. I'm like, unusual for him. Um, yeah. never seen anything like this, but I looked down immediately click the girl laying in the bed, um, looked just like his at the time, 18 year old daughter. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, how everyone says they have a twin and I swear to God, it was her laying in that bed. Jesus. Um, and so it just rocked him pretty horrific scene. I didn't know all of what I was feeling until going to therapy and then 
multiple operators are inside the house. They've been through therapy and then we've all been able to talk about stuff, but yep. it was, it was the first time I had ever been a part of a hostage rescue where we didn't either kill the suspect or go in and take the suspect in custody and rescue the hostages yep. or negotiate all the hostages out. Yeah. So I'd never, I was going in that house thinking we were going to rescue everyone. And so, yeah. um, it kicked my ass and just, that was the call that pushed me over the edge. I mean, we immediately, um, yeah, we came into work the next day, but we weren't okay. I was not mm -hmm. okay. Um, ended up, Jen ended up getting in to see me then. So this, we come into work the next day. That's a Tuesday on Wednesday. She got me in. And I just vomited finally everything of what I was going through. And we decided yeah. to take me offline and I never went back to work in that, you know, on shift. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's, it's, um, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, I mean, thank you for sharing all of that. I, Again, like similar to, you know, the the Ruby experience, it can't be easy to to rehash that constantly. Yeah. Um so you were thankfully taken offline and obviously agreed to that. Yeah. Tell me tell me what the process was like for you to find any kind of way back to feeling like yourself or feeling healed or you know yeah. being okay a lot of um yeah i mean jen is a perfect example of you know i know you know the term of a culturally competent first responder therapist because mm -hmm. she knew as soon as she got me in that room that first session especially that um there was going to be some work that needed to be done i mean i let yeah. this shit go on for a long time yeah um uh, and ultimately, you know, I had to have buy-in. Um, yeah. She built trust and rapport with me, which was huge. Yeah. Um, she definitely takes her therapy. Um, she calls it from a relationship standpoint, you know? Yeah. I get emotional talking about her, but. Um, She's impacted your life in a remarkable way. Makes sense. To know. I mean, she's very specific where she says, hey, I'm walking alongside you. Any place I ask you to go, I'm going to pull you back out because yeah. and she was referring to what I was going to have to go through through EMDR therapy. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, she came up with a plan like I was going in twice a week. Um, yeah. And then I also and I was shocked I did this because I was always very adamantly against it. She had me meet with a psychiatrist that she works with to get me on medication Yeah, because she knew that I was not sleeping um, yeah. and she needed me to get rest and stuff like that. So they put me on three different types of PTSD medication okay. uh, that I would take before bed uh, just so I get some damn rest finally. Mm -hmm. And then uh, also what she calls a rescue medication. I, I'm terrible at pronouncing, so I won't, that I would take before and after session. It's just yeah. kind of like a, take the edge off a little bit, propanerol. Yeah. Like that, I think. Is what yeah. It's called. yeah. Um, but I think as well, like part of 
part of helping you heal, especially in the immediacy of after like attending that job and going to get in to see her in a state of crisis, like she would need you to be stabilized. Cause if you're no. in that, in that crisis state, there's no, like you've got to be brought down a certain, to a certain level before you actually can begin to, to start healing. You actually, yeah, you are obviously are trained in this and that's one of the things, yeah, we go through when we speak stages of therapy. Yeah. <laughs> stages of therapy. One is stabilization. You know, yeah. that's the first thing she has to get through. And there's a whole process that she has to make sure I'm safe, you yeah. know, cause I, you know, I admitted in that session that, yeah, I had thought of suicide before. Um, but it wasn't like the nail in the coffin. I was like, you know, of course she goes through checks and balances. I'm like, yeah. no, I had thought about it. It was always an option on the table for me. I knew yeah. I could do it. Um, yeah. And like, okay, well, that's different than you're sitting in your truck five minutes ago with a gun in your mouth. You know, that's yeah. totally different, yeah. um, which was a surprise. That's another thing we lie to first responders about that. Like, well, if you think of suicide ever, you are, nope, you can't be a police officer. You can't be a fighter fighter. Complete fucking lie. That's not yeah. the case. Um, it's actually very normal to have passive ideations of suicide in our profession. Yeah. So, and that was the first time I'd ever heard of that shit, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the medication was brilliant. Yeah. It didn't work overnight, but once I finally yeah. started getting some rest, like, holy shit. Yeah. And I needed it. Right? Cause like you said, to bring me down to that other level to start working on the shit that I had going on in my head. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we just, we hammered, we hammered for, I was twice a week for nine months, I think. So yeah. yeah cause I had, you know, the EMDR doesn't, <clears throat> does not have to be a long process. The unfortunate yeah. part of the Ruby case was I had let that shit fester and had come up with so many negative beliefs, negative emotions that yeah. she, we had to work through so many piece, little pieces yeah. versus, you know, just last week. Okay. I had a shooting or whatever. And yeah, I'm struggling with this. Okay. Let's get in and target something specific. And, but for me, it wasn't like that with Ruby because I'd let it go for too long. Yeah. Yeah. And I can imagine given all you've seen over your career too, like probably wasn't even just like the Ruby case as well. Like there could have been so many others that, you know, once you started unpacking or emptying your cup or whatever analogy you want to, you want to use, like, I'm sure it kind of flipped the lid on a couple of others that you were like, Oh, like, I didn't think that that was an issue, but fuck me, it actually was. And I just ignored it. Yeah, it's funny you say that because Jen always says, she describes it, well, your brain, <clears throat> they saw, oh, you could deal with that call. Okay, guess what? Here's another one we got for you to deal with. And just, yeah. you know, for, for instance, recently, um, you know, I have a new therapist here in Montana that I do some stuff with. And gosh, probably two months ago, I went and did EMDR over my shooting from 2005 because mm -hmm. wow. I had one specific thing about that shooting that mm -hmm. I was having intrusive thoughts of his body laying there. Yeah. And that was something new that had come up to me. It wasn't giving me nightmares or anything, but it'd be yeah. like, okay, talking to Emily and all of a sudden, boom, there's his image. Like didn't like yeah. that. And yeah. So I went and I, the fun thing about that, I, it's crazy to call EMDR fun. Um, it was exciting, I guess, because I now knew how EMDR worked. And I'm like, I walk into this session, like I'll tell you where we need to get to. Yeah. Let's get to this point and I'm going to address this. And we yeah. did it. And I cleared, I cleared that image, you know, in a, in a, in a session, not, yeah. and you know how it works, but those listening, it's not like, I mean, I can see that image as I'm telling you right now, but 
but it's not intrusively disrupting my life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm in control of it. It's back in storage. Yeah. I can recall it if I need to, like we are in this conversation, but it's not yeah. intrusive. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I caught up with some of my husband, my husband went to a military college and he had his 30 year reunion a couple of weekends ago. And one of his mates was um, sent to Afghanistan um, mm. during the war on terror and stuff. And we were talking about something and, and I was, he sort of was like, Oh, I see the work you, you know, you're doing and blah, blah, blah. And I think it's really awesome. And then I was telling him about my studies for psychology and counseling um, to obviously become a therapist for first responders and, and how I want to get um, qualified in EMDR when that point comes. And I, I love hearing so much about like the way you talk about it and your passion about it and how successful it's been for you. And his head just like was on a freaking swivel. Cause he just turned to me and was like, you know what that is? Cause it's oh. just something that like not a lot of people talking about. And I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I know about it and I'm really interested in it and I want to become a practitioner in it. And, and he, he was saying like, he had this one, this one scene that haunted him for fucking years. Like, mm -hmm. and, and even to the point where he would call my husband at two or three o'clock in the morning and okay. he, you know, not not going to like speak out a term, but basically he'd get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and just see blood and dead people on his bedroom yep. floor in between the bathroom yeah. and his bed. And it was just, he just could not shake it. And he actually went through EMDR like years ago and it was like mm. experimental at that stage. And his, um, his therapist was like, I just, I really want to try this on you. And okay. it, and he actually like the quote of what he said to me, he's like, EMDR saved my life. So I say that all the time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I do not, I probably would say, like you say, how many people know about it? I always ask how many people have heard of EMDR when I'm doing my, you know, seminars, it's yeah. maybe 25% have heard of it. So that's, yeah. we, we've got a big way to go, but, and then also, more, but yeah, sure. My opinion is if you're going to be a therapist that wants to deal with first responders or veterans, like you have mm -hmm. to be trained in that because yeah. it is, it is life-changing and it's very, I think it's a therapy that we can relate to because it's not a lot of sit across the couch and tell me about your feelings. It's like, no, let's get the fucking work and yeah. deal with the problem that I have and you yeah. get it and you can hear it, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And you know, like the, the best way that I think, you know, when, when people sort of aren't really sure like what it's about and I was talking to my husband's friend about it and I said, what I like about it, yeah, it puts you kind of in the driver's seat, but it doesn't make you forget it, but it takes away the emotionality attached to yeah. it. And he yeah. was like, that's, that's like the best explanation that I've heard. Like, and it just, it helps, you know, your, your minds like reprocess it and put it back to where it's meant to be, but you're never going to forget it, but to not be so heavily affected by it, where it impacts your life and, and mm -hmm. your sleep and your, yeah, like your intrusive thoughts and all that kind of thing. I mean, right. trying to function when you're in that state, it's just, mm -hmm. so I, I, I love hearing you talk about it. I think yeah. it's, I think it's brilliant. It's and like you're saying it, it's, if you are going to be, if you want to be a practitioner in that space of helping veterans and first responders, it doesn't necessarily have to, because, you know, it, it won't necessarily work for everyone, but it needs to be a tool in your toolkit. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so from what you've sort of 
spoken about over your career and you've been like brutally honest and, and said, you know, like what, like that you consciously just like was like, fucking, I'm not going to deal with anything. And you just packed it all down and all that sort of thing. And then you've kind of come to this, the end of that spectrum where you're like, fuck, I actually have like a lot of shit to deal with. Like how, how has your mindset like changed? Like, I guess, you know, you've kind of got like new Travis over here and old Travis over there. Like how do you kind of reconcile those two parts of yourself? Hmm. Well, that's a good question. I've never been asked that. Um, well, I definitely, I think it's very important to know that old self is still, it's always there. Yeah. I think what's different is I'm definitely more aware of what's going on in my head and what's going on in my body to where, um, for instance, I mean, I still have a temper that would like to show its head at times, but I'm very aware of knowing like, okay, I feel it coming. What can I do to help? to stop me from getting there. Not that I'm perfect. Don't make mistakes, but I guess, um, yeah, just very aware. I'm still Travis. I still, you know, dealt with all this shit in my career. Um, I don't regret any of it. It it is, I'm, I would not be who I am today if I Mm -hmm. had not been through experiences. Right. But how do I reconcile it? I, I definitely, I've taken charge of you know, me controlling my mind more and my body more versus it controlling, you know, me. And yeah. So I don't know if that's the answer. I guess that's kind of, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, kinda, it, yeah, it, yeah. it's truthful. So it makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think as well, like, you know, you, you, I guess you sort of spoke about the, also like a, not necessarily maybe a mindset, but like an attitude towards sort of like the, the mental health and, and maybe, I don't know if you sort of mentioned it here or like on other podcasts and stuff, how, you know, we all back then may have judged other people for their mental health failings a lot more, a lot more harshly coming full circle. And, and I guess I, I want to quantify that by you probably will always feel like, like a work in progress, but mm-hmm. given where you're at now and your level of understanding and compassion and, and all that kind of thing, has it made you sort of, either think about or taking the step to go back and have like reconciling conversations with, I don't know, maybe like your children or not necessarily your ex-wife. I don't know what kind of relationship you have with her, but even like people from back when you were a significantly different person compared to now. Mm -hmm. I definitely have uh, for sure. So start with family. I've definitely, you know, my boys, um, talk about them all the time but yeah i definitely was quite frankly an asshole uh for a lot of his their teenage years just because i was dealing or not dealing with my shit appropriately and yeah. i would let it I would take out on them you know just yelling losing my temper whatever it is and i've yeah. had they now both are older they're 18 and 19 they both know what i've been through so i've been able to explain you know what exactly this looks like dad went through yeah. not as an excuse yeah. But telling them that like, hey, I'm sorry. And now we joke about some shit that I was just super hardcore about stuff with them. And then, yeah, yeah extended family, just hearing from them that, yeah, there was times where, Travis, we're walking on eggshells because we knew you were about ready to pop. Um, yeah. So, yeah, having to reconcile that. And then as for professionally, 
anybody that I have, I know that maybe heard me speak um, in a negative way towards people coming forward in my past, mm -hmm. I have definitely sought them out. There's one specific person that they, I ran into him recently and I know specifically, I don't even know if they knew, but I was talking shit about some problems they were having based on a traumatic incident they've been involved in. And I had to reconcile with them. I yeah. just, I had, like, as soon as I found out we were going to be in the same area, I'm like, yep, I got to go to him now. And yeah. he was super appreciative, actually didn't even like, man, I don't even remember you saying that stuff, but I sure did. So <laughs> yeah, that's it. And I, and I, in my presentations, I talk about that. Like I was mm -hmm. disgusting. My team, our team was disgusting in that, in that aspect. They now are different because yeah. after I came forward, um, but yeah, we, gosh, man, we used to say, yep. Oh, you had a hard time with that shooting. Shouldn't be a police officer. And if you decide yeah. to stay in this profession, you sure as hell will never be on our team because you yeah. can't handle the streets. But we yeah. didn't, again, we were ignorant. We didn't know. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, and I guess like before we, we jump ahead to talking about the organization you've got now, I've sort of heard you, um, talk about what you believe in terms of post-traumatic growth. Would mm -hmm. you touch on that for me? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, what you're seeing in Travis, if you meet me, if you see me on podcast, this is post-traumatic growth, uh, because yeah, not. I always tell everyone there's no magic pill that you're going to forget all the shit that you've seen in your career. Yeah. However, we can make it, we can provide you tools and resources, trainings, therapies to help you get to the other side of it to where you're in a much mm -hmm. better place. Yeah. My post-traumatic growth part of that is then is sharing my story to others in hopes that something I say may resonate with them. Like, Hey, if Travis can do it, I can do it, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, I've had the, just incredible privilege uh, through social media, my my website, whatever. So many people have reached out to me sharing their story or maybe even saying, Travis, I'm in a bad way. What should I do? And like, okay, yeah. let's get you to a therapist. You need to look into EMDR and they, they make some progress. You know, yeah. and I love hearing about that. And the only thing, because most everyone says, you know, you know, I, I appreciate this so much. I don't know what I can do. And I'm like, hey, the one thing you can do is promise me when you get on that other side of it that you tell at least one person your story, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's post-traumatic growth. And I think we need to celebrate that. I think we need to, in our first responder organizations, like someone is struggling, they come forward to help. They go through the hard work of working through that. That department needs to put them up on pedestal. And teach yeah. the youngsters, especially like, hey, this is what this looks like. This career is not going to always be easy. Yeah. But unfortunately, too many times right now, we kind of shove people off into the corner. Like, oh, they're struggling. Like, let's, you know, put them in a closet for a while. And, you know, that kind of bullshit, which that's, yeah. that's not how it could be. So, yeah. No, and I, I am, I'm equally like a massive proponent of post-traumatic growth. And I've it definitely experienced it myself and not in a professional capacity, but more in like a personal one where I had like a, a very long-term relationship completely disintegrate and implode in, you know, some of the worst ways possible. And mm -hmm. it, it involved, like I was shaken to my core because my, the future that I had envisaged was over. 
I lost like half of the people that I considered to be my family. Like, and when your core is shaken and your faith in someone that you loved and everything like that is just taken away from you and you're just so lost and then you have to find your way in the world again and basically re rebuild yourself, rebuild who you want to be, who you think you are, what you want your future to look like. And it's, it's, if you get to that other side of it, it's amazing. And it's something that I turned into so that I had the courage to meet, like meet my husband and marry him and leave like my life and my career and everything in Australia and, and take a chance on, you know, my wonderful husband and, and 10 years and, you know, two kids down the track. Well, I mean, Christ, it's amazing, but I would never have had the confidence to do something like that unless I'd gone through that whole process to begin with. And I didn't know what it was, you know, like, it's like, I went through it, but I didn't know what it was until I, like a therapist friend mentioned it to me and I went and researched and bought a book and read about it. And I'm like, fuck yes, it is so <laughs> real. And when you have that realization, you're just like, yeah, this is good. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so now that we have uh, covered a lot of your career and everything like that, um, actually, just one last question, if I may. Yeah. Um, obviously, I think I've heard you mention that when you left work and got into therapy, it was kind of almost more as like a leave of absence. And from my understanding is you believe that you would sort of go back at, at one point. Um, how were you in a good mental health space that it became apparent that you were kind of just like, I'm done or it's just, I can't go back and do that. Yeah. So about, uh, probably six months into my therapy, you know, Emily and I started talking about, you know, what does this look like? What does this look like going back? And yeah. I remember specifically, I asked both Jennifer Cooper and I asked the psychiatrist, I said, what do you guys think? And they're never going to say like, no, you shouldn't go back to work or anything like that. They'd like obviously talk you through it. Mm -hmm. And my big question was, I know I've made progress, but what does it look like when I go to another call like that? How yeah. am I going to act at this point or perform? They said, Travis, we won't know until you're there. Yeah. They said, you've been through a hell of a lot and it's up to you to decide. And so my wife and I decided that, you know what, 24 years and all the shit, I think I'm good, um, yeah. which I, and I say that so matter of fact, but it was an extremely difficult decision because this was everything that I knew. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. There was also, if I put in for retirement, there was no guarantee that the department was going to give it to me, um, which meant uh, I could lose everything and then yeah. I'd start you know, whatever I didn't, but Emily and I just said, well, I'll go figure something else out. I'll go whatever, work at Amazon. I don't know, yeah. whatever I, you know, um, yeah. and so we rolled the dice, but it's definitely not, it's not an easy decision. Um, yeah. there's even times where still today, like, and I hear about my team doing stuff and yeah. man, I just, sometimes I really miss catching or chasing the legit bad guys, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't miss the shit that I had to see. That's for sure. My brain definitely, I think has told me that like, you're good. You, you've got enough shit up there that you have uh, had to be a part of. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, obviously you had a much more significant career 
than I did and and we left for very different reasons but I I can um empathize with walking away from something that maybe you wouldn't necessarily have had circumstances mm-hmm. been different like I never envisaged not being a cop and I was right. a detective I worked at the armed crime squad I fucking loved it like and again yeah you kind of you miss you miss like those little those little like fun bits and pieces and generally like the people but yeah it's it's, it is it's something kind of weird to reconcile when it has been such like a significant Mm -hmm. part of your life so i can different circumstances but i can understand a little bit um so please tell me about the genesis of my arena (laughs) which is what you do now yeah uh yeah it's crazy so the first time that I had ever told anybody in a group setting about everything that I was dealing with was with my team. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, it was when I made the decision that I was going to put in for retirement. Yep. And so I went back and met with them very condensed. It was only like an hour. I, I was going to be able to speak with them, told them about, you know, what I'd been through, um, what had been going on the last few months. I mean, they knew I was off work for some heavy shit, but they didn't know all the details. Yep had a great response from that. In fact, before I even left there that day, one of my operators that he's just a badass and um, pretty much like my right-hand person when we were going into the shit, I wanted to put mm-hmm. him right in the middle of everything because I knew he was going to do well. And he comes yeah. up to me with tears in his eyes. He's like, I thought I was fucked up. He said, I've never heard anybody talk like this, that, you know, the stuff you learned in therapy. And he wanted the name of Jennifer Cooper. So, and from there, that kind of snowballed to where our whole team has been touched by Jen now. And she does, Mm -hmm. you know, deep reefs with them, sound therapy with them, sees many of them and, you know, a one-on-one sessions. Mm -hmm. And then um, Emily and I were, we had already made plans uh, because we had bought property in Montana that we were going to leave Arizona and go up in the mountains of Montana. And a buddy of mine that um, works up here. And he used to work in the Tri-City, Washington area, which is like Kennewick and um, eastern side of Washington, Tri-Cities. Okay. And uh, we, we've known each other through the SWAT community for a long time. And he knew I was coming up here and he said, hey, there's a tactical leadership conference. Would you come up and do a, a SWAT debrief? So which that means like one of our hostage rescues or barricades. Yep. Talk about lessons learned. I'm like, sure, I can do that. Hung up the phone. And some thought came to me like, hey, what if I call him back and say, hey, what if I tell people my story? Because he just recently had heard I, you mm-hmm. know, I wasn't telling a lot of people. He said, yeah. yeah, let's do it. And so go there with a very basic PowerPoint and put on this presentation for a few hours and mm-hmm. had an overwhelming response, um, a positive response. Yeah. Um, there happened to be someone in there listening to me that was friends with Andy Stump from Cleared Hot Podcast. Before I was even home, um, Andy's texting me like, hey, I heard I should have you on my podcast. These guys vouch for you. Let's make this happen. And then kind of snowballed from there. We get asked to go to the National Tactical Officers Conference. Jennifer and I do. And I don't Mm -hmm. even know. I don't know what point I decided like, oh, I should bring a therapist in to talk with me as well. Um, But I'll pat myself on the back. It was fucking brilliant. (laughs) because, Because it really. It I'll really. Do a virtual tap. 
it really works because yeah. I mean, there's people out there like me that are sharing their personal stories, right? Of what they've been through. I think the really unique piece is that, um, and I work with a couple other therapists now here in Montana that travel mm -hmm. in state, but as I'm telling my story, like I pause and kind of toss the baton over to them to where they then talk from the clinical side of like, yeah. yep, this is why Travis was experiencing this talking about, oh, those were normal feelings. These are things he could have done different. These are things we would suggest the agency does different. And yeah. then they get into this whole thing about cognitive behavioral therapy. What is EMDR therapy? Yeah. All this stuff. And it just really works. And yeah. um, fuck, Aaron, it just snowballed. And I mean, I, I honestly, I don't do a lot of advertising for this. It just um, yeah. word of mouth, like someone hears me speak. They go back to their area, like we got to have this person in, yeah. and it's just it's kind of freaking went gangbusters. So yeah, yeah, no, but I I do I I absolutely love the because you're kind of bringing like that that real 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 world first responder experience, but then to actually have someone in that psychological capacity explaining like the cognitive and the this you know, the psychological aspects of it. So it's kind of like, this is causing this. It doesn't mean you're weak. It's actually your physiological reaction. And, you know, it's like, we're, what does, you know, Bessel van der Kolk sort of, it's, it's like the, a normal reaction to an abnormal situation being yeah. trauma. But yeah. that's what we're all exposed to constantly. No, for sure. I'll give you a very perfect example. Um, we were at the National SWAT Conference again this year in Aurora, mm -hmm. Colorado. And we're getting towards the end of our presentation. We opened up for questions. And this dude in the back, and he's getting teary-eyed. Mm. And we're like, hey, what's up, man? Do you want to share something? He's like, and he kind of giggles a little bit. He's like, I just thought I was seriously fucked up. And so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but he said, but to hear you guys talk about this, he said, I've never yeah. heard like half the shit Travis has went through. I'm experiencing. Yeah. I, I didn't know that was a normal human response. And that's yeah. where we have been lied to. Um, because, you know, not educating us, in my opinion, is a lie. I think the resources and the knowledge has been out there for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And like we talked about earlier, it's incumbent upon organizations, if you want to be in those leadership roles, yeah. you need to be searching these things out, right? Yeah. And so that's kind of what it is. Yeah. With my career, like every time I start out, I'm like, I'm you, you're me. One of you could be up sharing your story of your career. I know you've had horrific things. Yeah. I'm just going to kind of give you the, be that bridge, um, tell you my side. And then also like vouching for these culturally competent first responder therapists saying, these Makes people know what the fuck they're doing yeah. and this is what you look for. You don't just go random Google search of, you know, oh, who do I go to therapy and just end yeah. up on somebody's couch that doesn't know what they're doing. Like yeah. it has to be intentional. Like let's find yeah. the right people to connect them to first responders. Cause it is, yeah. I mean, it is imperative yeah. that we do that, right? So. No, and I, I wholeheartedly agree. And that's what, you know, I try to do in, in my sort of very small way with coaching first responders because I think that there is such a gap in between going to talk to someone in peer support and going to see a clinician where I think 
people fucking get lost. They get lost in the yeah. void and they fucking drown. And and so, and I'm sort of similar. I don't like put myself out there. It's kind of word of mouth. And I'm sort of that opinion of if you build it, they will come. So it's yeah, kind of exactly. like I'm I'm here if someone wants to come and talk to me and the people I work with, I really enjoy it. Um, and and again, you know, I'm for anyone who sort of doesn't know, I'm I'm working towards getting my psychology and, and counseling degree so I can be a culturally competent therapist for first responders. And and that's like exactly like you're saying, that's my hope that I will and you know, normally therapists won't sort of necessarily share a lot about themselves and coaches aren't really necessarily meant to either. But I'm like, no, fuck it. Like that's that's part of me and that's why I am or I feel like I can be a person for you to come and speak to. It's because I was a cop for almost a decade. It's because I am married to a firefighter who has been on the job for like, I don't know, over 20 years or something by now. Like I know what it's like to perform the role. I know what it's like to support someone doing that role. And that's what I want to do. And I'm, you know, 39 and I'm sort of starting the second half of my life and a different career, but I'm so passionate about it that I can't wait to be in the position to be able to be doing that for people, you know, in, in that further capacity on top of my coaching. That's incredible. And yeah, you, you touched on a very important point. Like, yeah, I would imagine you know, the first time you sit down with someone, you know, once you finish all the schooling or even as you do right now, it is so important for us to hear your background yeah. because like I'm thinking in the back of my head, okay, she's a police officer. Yeah, I was in Australia, but she gets what we're doing. Her husband's a firefighter. Okay. Let me now listen to more and start yeah. building that relationship. And, you know, yeah. the same thing with Jennifer, you know, her dad was a U.S. Marshal. She worked for Phoenix Fire. Um, Brandon, you know, the other guy, he's yeah. former military. Gypsy, just by circumstance, being where she is, has been treating first responders for years. Yeah. So it's been just kind of like, hey, this is what I do. And, you know, um, it's it's so very important to build that trust. And yeah. and probably some in the in the therapist community won't necessarily understand that. But until you sit down with one of us. Yeah. Like. I don't know what to tell you, but that's what we need for sure. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, that's part of the reason why I feel so passionately about it because, you know, hearing your experience and, and so many others when, when they go and they speak to someone who just doesn't fucking get it, or they just can't comprehend it, it can do so much damage, so much damage. And imagine, imagine if you had never gone back if you just gone, oh, okay, well, like I'm fucking fine. And, you know, yep. I'm not going to pursue that. And actually like it's taken your tenacity in terms of trying to get yourself help and get yourself a, a competent therapist that not everyone has that, not, not everyone has that in them. And then what does that fucking lead to? Right. You know, I mean, like we know, we know what that fucking leads to, but. Yeah. That's the, that's the unfortunate part to where we really, uh, I don't want to call it a game, but it's a very risky endeavor that like we put people out there that don't know what the fuck they're doing. Because quite honestly, if it probably would not have been for my wife and her getting me to Jennifer, I would have been done. And yeah. I've heard too many experiences where like, yep, they've been, you know, to someone and they don't, yeah, screw it. We, therapy sucks. They're stupid. It doesn't yeah. work. That kind of stuff. But um, yeah. we need to keep pushing them. 
And yeah. the more, and more people that are passionate like you are that want to do that, that's what we need. And thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And and I think as well, you know, like um, I've sort of spoken about it previously, like my my dad passed away by suicide and he wasn't a first responder by any means, but I am a product of, and I know the outcome of that loss from a child's mm-hmm. perspective. So I've, you know, done a lot of things in my life to try to, to reconcile that. Um, and I've worked on a crisis line, like a suicide crisis line for a few years when I moved over to Boston and done a lot of research and obviously attended the jobs when, when I was a cop and, and all that kind of thing. But I know the impact that it has on a child. So again, that's part of like my passion towards trying to help that, that first responder community, because part of part of the issue that they face is like you're saying that either you know like suicidality suicidal ideation we lose so many in that in that way and and I know what that loss is like and I know how my life has been shaped by that and it it does like you know and I was I was very very young but that loss has like shaped and impacted my life like my entire life and not only like the circumstances of how I grew up but how I felt about myself, like the beliefs I had, like feelings of worth. And, and then even, you know, I've been really fortunate, but, you know, kids whose parents complete suicide also have such higher risks of, Mm. you know, completing suicide themselves, suffering from depression. Like it's that whole fucking gambit. So every, like almost every part of my life is tied into me wanting to move to move forward with it because I know what that, that loss does to someone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, we definitely have to keep highlighting that. I think, yeah, with Taylor the other day when we did our first podcast, I think that came to me like, shit, we don't even talk enough about that or what it does to the kids and that how the risk factors, how much they increase if a parent has committed suicide. It's yeah. We have to definitely touch on that. Yeah. And I mean, and I guess, you know, I've done a lot of research and, and personal work and I now just come at it from a complete pl- place of compassion because it was mm-hmm. weird. Like I, when I was working at the suicide um, prevention organization, I was pregnant with my first child and they asked me to get up and speak at the Massachusetts State Suicide Conference. And as I was writing my speech, I realized that I was going to give birth to my first child at the same age that my dad ended his life. Oh shit. And that really yeah. impacted me because I was like, holy shit, like, you know, I'm beginning my life and beginning this chapter of my life and starting a family and and he had three children and was choosing to leave. And it just gave me so I think so much more compassion than I've had ever known that I could feel towards him because then mm. I experience the love of being a parent and then going fuck like you were in so much pain that you still chose to leave Mm. you know yeah and I think that I mean I'm I'm a very big you know empathy and compassion are really important to me and and that's what you know I want to offer in in the space that I'm trying to to feel and and all that kind of thing And, and I think that's that's part of the reason why I really love your approach to everything that you're doing. And we spoke about it briefly offline, but you're, 
the way that you sort of go about it, you're not about like your shock tactics, you know, you're very humble in the way that you go about talking about your experiences and all that kind of thing. And I think you come across with empathy and and compassion, I think for your former self, as well as the other people that you're trying to help in that regards. Well, thank you. We try. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like it's your you're quiet and you're unassuming and there's no there's no ego about what you're doing and you come from a background where and in no way a judgment but like I think ego would have been incredibly important for to being like a SWAT member and a SWAT team leader like it would have that would have sort of been important and and then now you're leading your leader again just in like a different capacity and yet there is no ego about it it's just this is this is this is what I've done. This is what I'm about. I want to help you, pure and simple. And I, I really, I really value and, and respect that approach. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, we do, you know, part of the, I do share some stories in my career and, you know, part of that is just, um, I know, I think through all the stories we tell, somebody can possibly relate, you know, it's not about like, Hey, I'm Mr. Big SWAT guy, or I've never been about that. I mean, there's many other people did a lot more shit than I did. I was very, very blessed and fortunate to, you know, be able to be on this team. And, um, yeah. I, again, won't ever, you know, I don't ever, um, look back like shit. I wish this wouldn't happen or that happened. All of it's yeah. part of me. So yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. Um, and so we did touch on, so your, um, organization my arena so you basically go around to places that invite you and you give your presentations and I think you've um mentioned previously that you conduct or you basically will do an assessment and write a write a white paper yeah um Mm -hmm. for them Mm -hmm. yeah Um, so yeah so when we started it was just going around doing our seminars it started with I don't know, anywhere from two to four hours. And now it's really just, it's grown into pretty much it's a full day training. And then, um, yeah, just through, you know, having conversations, some people, you know, a couple different departments asked Mm -hmm. like, Hey, would you come in and do an assessment? So yeah, we, we built that from the ground up to where, you know, we'll just come in and assess from, uh, we like to look at a couple critical incidents that agencies have dealt with maybe within the last 12 months. Yeah. And then we would like to evaluate how you dealt with it um, after the actual call was done and in, in regards to how you took care of your people mm-hmm. and, you know, the services you provided. And then, you know, we talked to the employees, we talked to leadership and try to get that all together. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, present them a white paper, which just it's a really a military term of describing or this is our assessment. This is what yes. you're doing right. This is what our best recommendations you know, how you can improve and then go from there. So yeah, it's kind of take, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I was just going to say like, is that sort of coming from your policing perspective as well as like, is there input from either um, Jennifer or one of your other psychologists in regards to what they could be doing on that spectrum too? Yeah, exactly. It's myself and the therapist. We do this jointly together. So I'm, I'm kind of the liaison advocate of like, hey, this is what you should be doing for your employees. 
Yeah. We get down to the nitty gritty, even how you handle your officer involved shootings and how important it is that, you know, how you deal with your people after that call. And then the therapists, you know, their, their professional side of it is what does this look like to deal with these type of critical incidents? Mm -hmm. And we're a big one on, yeah, we believe organizations should have critical incident policies in place that there's some mandatory care uh, for certain incidents. Um, We're, we believe within the first week and then 30, 60, 90, 120 day mark that they're going back to do check-ins because you know, you know, studying this stuff and the work that you do that a lot of times in that first week or even that first month, you still don't even know how you're feeling. Everything's trying to settle. And then we want you to get in there to keep checking in and make sure that everything's okay. So um, there's pushback on that at times just because of the financial reason. And then a lot of organizations don't like, well, we've had some unions like, ah, we don't like mandatory. And (laughs) honestly, what I tell them, let let me come there with Jennifer, let's do our presentation and then let's talk about mandatory. And every time it's wiped it off the board, like, yep, we believe in it. Let's do it. So. Exactly. Not that makes, yeah, complete, complete sense. Um, And you were also saying that um, you have also started a podcast called In the Arena. Yeah. Yep. Um, And so I think you just launched that last Friday, I believe. Yeah, last Friday was the first day. It it was a goal that I had to try to do one in 2023. I mean, I'm sure just you, it's not lost on me that there's so many podcasts I know. out there. Trust me, that's exactly the same. <laughs> like, for God's sakes. But I, I feel that, you know, because, I mean, you know, because you followed my social media, but if people on here haven't, mm-hmm. my biggest go-to throughout the last year was I would do these extended videos on Instagram. Yep. And just our human nature is, a lot of times that gets watched for first maybe minute and a half and then viewership goes way down. So I thought this would be a good way for me to put out some stuff. And I, I like to be able to get some of my opinions and um, recommendations out there in a bit, a little bit lengthier form. And then I'm also yeah. going to interview some guests that, uh, you know, they've come through some of the shit and got to the other side, or maybe they're even still working through it and what it looked yeah. like for them. So, yeah. yeah. No. And, and I think sort of, you know, yeah, like we may come at it from slightly different angles and perspectives, but I love, I just love the conversations and again, just putting it out there of like first responders talking about their experiences and then talking about the mental health aspects, like Mm -hmm. it's generating conversation and it's important. And I think that's sort of where I'm, you know, coming from and, and like, I, I love this. I love this so much. And I've met some, you know, and continue to meet some wonderful people through it. Like as a result, I'm just, you know, getting contacted by people sort of left, right and center and be like, Hey, if you're after a guest, I'm like, sure, come on. And, and it's, but it's, it's wonderful. And I think, yeah, like just generating those conversations and putting it out there. It's, it's so important. Cause I think like, it's that kind of thing. It's like, then someone listening here's something I say, or here's something you say. And they go, ah, oh, okay. Like that's fucking normal. Or, you know, like feeling and or experiencing symptoms of, you know, PTSD for that first month is actually normal. And then if it's, 
it, you know, happens after a month and then it's like two or more of these symptoms or one of these symptoms and it's impacting your life. Like to actually just hear that in just a very layman's term is going to, I feel like, resonate with people sometimes a little bit more than just the really cold, hard facts and figures and, and all that kind of thing. So. Agreed. Yeah. And I mean, I know you go the same, I guess, angle that I do is if one person latches onto you, one person latches onto me and we help save a life. It's, it's yeah. fucking all worth it at the end of the yeah. day. Right. Yeah. So, and yeah. It, it's been fun, you know, watching this little community. I mean, I know, you know, you and me, you know, some other people that are involved, it's fun. And I, my, uh, yeah, Taylor and I, this is kind of on the, the next big picture thing we're thinking of one of these days, I'm going to put together a conference where I have all these, this little community get together yeah. and yeah, we'll do our thing and have breakout sessions for different topics. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I want to do it for first responders, but I also want to do it for, I want people that like you that are therapists or going to school and they have this passion, like, I don't know why, but I want to become, you know, I want to help first responders. Yeah. Well, we're going to bring them and show you what that looks like. Yeah. You know, I can have this big, that's, that's a goal that we're working on that we're going to put something like that together. I love that. That's fantastic. I, yeah. I think that would be amazing. Um, so yeah. So for anyone who, um, would be interested. So um, I listen to in my, or sorry, in the arena on Spotify. That's where it's available at the moment. At the moment, I think Taylor's doing YouTube, getting that up and running as well. So yeah. Cool. All right. So yeah, go to Spotify and YouTube and search in the arena with Travis Gribble and you can jump on and listen to some episodes there. Um, and I'm sure, which we're just about to talk about, um, our friends over at the Overwatch Collective will have kindly popped my podcast on there and I'm sure they'll, uh, they'll bang your one up too. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, lastly, I wanted to, um, to touch on the Overwatch Collective, which yeah. is, um, a wonderful, um, non-for-profit organization and podcast, um, equally as well that we are both affiliated with. So I would love to sort of hear about your connection and, and partnership with them and, and, you know, what you guys are, are working on towards together. Yeah, for sure. So I had the awesome opportunity to go back to their fundraiser and speak, yeah. um, a few weeks ago and that was awesome. And and I got to meet Greg in person, obviously, yeah. and his family. And we could not remember how in the hell we ever got connected. I honestly <laughs> don't know. I yeah. don't know if I saw something on Instagram and I'm like, oh, I'm going to start following this person. Yeah. And I, quite honestly, um, it's it's very simple why I bought into what he's doing as I watch because, or his organization. Um, I know as I travel across the country, the number one thing I hear is either I can't find anyone to go and see yep. or there's it. no therapist, no therapist that, that understand first responders. Mm -hmm. So when I started seeing like, man, this guy is like, he's putting out free sessions for people. Yeah. I, it hurts my interest. And so I just kept watching. We started communicating. I'm like, this is the organization that I definitely want to get behind um, yeah. because I mean, and now when I go to my presentations, I play a video of Greg 
you know, telling okay. what he does and what he offers because yeah. like I just, you know, Jennifer and I just came back from New York and the first break, we must've had half a dozen people. There's no one here. There's no one in New York. Well, so I text Greg and I figured, and I'm like, Hey, there's people in New York. He's like, yep, we have two. And so I said, I told everyone, just hold on till the end. I'll play something for you that yep. you'll be able to find. That's a, just a, a gigantic resource yeah. for us to have and something I just truly believe in. So pretty yep. simple. Like he provides free therapy. He is a stopgap. Like yep. it also takes away excuses. Like, well, I don't feel comfortable going forward to my organization. Well, guess what? Here's an organization that you can, will pay for you to go to these sessions to at least start getting you some help. Yep. So yeah, I, mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. No, it's, and yeah, equally like, um, I got, I got contacted by Kelsey and oh, she yeah. reached out to me just completely randomly and was like, Oh, Hey, I'm part of like this organization. We're looking to expand our, our services. And, and they saw that I was a, a coach for first responders and they're like, you know, would you be interested? And I was just like, okay. Like I looked into them and and they gave me some details and all that sort of thing. And yeah, equally, I fell, I fell in love with their, their passion and their dedication and their message of, you know, that, that one more is one less. And they, you know, they work tirelessly for, for what they do. And, and, you know, they, they now have their own app, the Overwatch Collective app that you can download from the app store. And there's, it's almost, you know, it's got like the social media content on it. They've got the audio rooms, which I don't know if you've jumped on one of them. I've jumped on a couple of times. Um, and yeah, like, and it was such like an honor and a privilege to be asked to, to join on and, and be one of their resources because, yeah. you know, why wouldn't you like it's, and no. yeah, and then, you know, and, and I think it was something that you'd sort of mentioned too, about the fact that they're so open about like this is where the donation that, you know, you guys, this is where it's going. We're funding this many um, therapists. We're, you know, doing this, we're doing this. Like it's all accounted for, which I think is really important in that respect. I agree. Yeah. In this day and age where unfortunately there's some uh, not-for-profit organizations that have abused the finances and, you know, as such. And so yeah. when I saw that even sold me even more like, Hey man, they are putting this out there where the money's going yeah. It is rock solid. So yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, we are behind them 100%. Yeah, no, me too. And uh, my, my aim is to get out there for the, their fundraiser next year. Um, it's just going to depend on what date, but I'm really hoping it. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I'm like, my niece is getting married and I've got like my, my kids' birthdays around that time of year. So I'm like, ah, crap, but. I'm really, really hoping to be able to make it out there one year. So, because like you're saying, it'd be so lovely to to come and meet everyone in person. So, yeah, be good. It was good. Um, and one thing that I also did want to um, mention that I don't know if uh, people can see, but I am wearing a fancy My Arena t-shirt, which Travis was uh, and he's got a hoodie on <laughs> and a hat. Exactly. So you guys sell merch, so you can go to. Um, my arena website which i know it's got the llc my, in it yeah, my arena llc.com yeah mm -hmm. okay um and you've got so uh travis kindly sent me a t-shirt i purchased one of their um 
like racer back singlets that I wear to the gym. Um, they've got t-shirts, they've got hoodies, they've got hats, you've got all kinds of merch. Um, and I know you were donating certain portion towards the Overwatch collective at some point. Yeah, I was. Yeah. yeah, Leading up to me going out there, I ran a, I guess a sale promotion that I was going to take $5 from every sale. We were able to present them with $1,500 from sales for our merchandise. So yeah. That is amazing. How wonderful. Yeah. Um, So yeah, yeah. merchandise thing kind of, you know, we don't, it's hard for me to even promote that stuff because again, this whole, it's just weird to me, but um, it's good. You know, we have, you know, on our hoodies, something that says you're not alone. And then, um, you know, and on the t-shirt. So it's just kind of a, it's almost like a conversation starter as well. Like someone asks, if you're afraid to start a conversation and say, Hey, what's my arena? Well, let me tell you a little bit yep. about it. So yeah, yep. it's good. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, like you're saying, I'm, sort of agree I really I really like the organic nature of word of mouth stuff like that I think it's there's something so pure about it and it gets it out there without you feeling like it's getting shoved down your throat Mm -hmm. agreed and I do have to yeah just so everyone knows like on the the wolf um the eye the ruby eye that's in that's an honor of ruby that's what that means yeah that's why we have that there so super important organization and what we do yeah, it's all because of, you know, that day that I was blessed to be able to find her. So, yeah. And um, just so our listeners know, um, I have heard you talk about it in other podcasts, but from what you're aware, she is doing good now, right? She's doing good. Actually, I had just an, um, it's been up and down actually within the last year because people heard that. There's possibility I was going to go get to see her that 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 didn't work out, but I did actually um, get connected with the. Um, she was the founder of this organization called Winged Hope. It's in uh, Gilbert, Arizona, but mm-hmm. their specific role is, is they help uh, sexual assault victims. So, okay. and they work closely with police departments. I had no idea that her organization, um, that organization, was involved um with her and they yeah it's just i've been able to connect with some things and get some information that really helped but yeah she's with her um adoptive family that was the first foster Mm -hmm. care family to take her in after that um yeah you know that day and so she's still with them so it was good yeah yeah and i would imagine for her healing having that consistency would would be really really good for her yeah absolutely well, I, I hope one day you do get to see her again. Me too. Yep, someday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Travis. Um, I have taken up a lot of your time, so I'm very much appreciative. Um, I do mm-hmm. have two final questions, if you will indulge me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to end the podcast on sort of talking about, which, I mean, I think every episode we talk about, the fact that there's such a level of darkness that can permeate, um, you know, our first responder roles and all of the things that we see and all of the things that we must do and and it can, you know, haunt us to a certain extent, which, you know, you've spoken really openly and honestly about. So I appreciate that. Um, the one thing I, I do like to ask is what do you do to hold space for your darkness? Hmm. 
what I do now is just uh, staying very aware of what's going on in my heart and mind and my body constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for yeah, all of my career, I did not do that. And just when the darkness would creep up, it would take over. Um, quite frankly, obviously, I paid the price, but everyone around me did. So I think it's incumbent upon me. Um, I was having a conversation with someone recently to how all this works. And I use the word fascinating and I never use that word. And I'm like, I like that word for it because it is really, truly fascinating how what goes on up in here and how much control we let it have, how much it dictates what's going on in the rest of our life. So yep. I make sure that I, I stay grounded. Um, not every day is perfect. That is not, you know, I still have some pretty shitty days and, um, yep. but I know, I also know that it's okay to feel that shitty day. You know, yeah. versus I have to just go to this place to cope or do whatever, get rid of it. It's okay mm-hmm. to let your body feel that because uh, sometimes just, you know, it's not good. Um, so, yeah, that's what I do. I make a conscious effort to just stay on top and be completely aware. Yep. No, that makes sense. And I appreciate you sharing that. Um, mm-hmm. And the the other question that I like to ask is what can someone in the capacity of whether it's a partner or a friend or a loved one, what can they do to help and support you hold space for your darkness in that respect? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, it's just, and I think this, I think this would resonate with many people Mm -hmm. is I just need to know that they understand that they see me, if that makes sense. Um, Especially if you're related to the first responder career, most of us are not looking for accolades, pats on the back, a news article, another award. Yep. We're just every once in a while need to know that, like, I understand what you're going through. I understand. Thank you for what you're doing. And um, I know it's not yep. always easy. And that's what I need to hear. You know, I need, you know, people around me. I mean, if people watch my social media, um, I was very hesitant when I started doing this, but I put out some positive messages that I received from people. Yeah. But it honestly comes from a true, like, holy shit, thank you. And I'm, it's so, again, it's like, it's beyond coincidence at this point to where like, yep. there's been days where I'm like, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm getting through to anybody. And then I'll get a message like, hey, Travis, because of what you said, I started EMDR therapy and I'm doing it. So we yeah. do, we just need to know that people hear us and they understand and that we're, you know, making an impact. Yeah. And um, I guess that kind of also goes. And then I, you know how it is, Aaron. I mean, even right now, you're a, you know, you're a mom, you're a wife, you're trying to do all this stuff. And a lot of times we get so busy, we don't have a lot of space. Yeah. And I was like that pretty much my whole career. Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily, I didn't really check in people with them intentionally. And that's yeah. why it's so important. Now, like if people reach out to me, like, I just want them to know, I hear you. I'm acknowledging your message. Um, I'm going to do what I can, you know, to help you. Yeah. And I think we just need more of that. You know, you know, cause you listen to me. I preach so often, buddy checks and intentional conversations yeah. with that core group of people that you have. You can't take mm-hmm. care of 30 people, mm-hmm. but you can have, you know, your circle to where I'm going to always have some space for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't care what I got going in my life, but you know, if you call me and like, Hey, I'm, I'm having a hard time. 
I know Travis is going to be there. I know Aaron's going to be there. And that's, we need to do more of that for one another for sure. Yeah. No. And, and that, that really resonates with me because something that I, I'm not like hang my hat on, but I pride myself on is being a really good friend. And I think yeah. that part of that intentionality is, is anyone that I love knowing like they need me, I'm there. And yeah, I think that's, that's like awesome. super important. Yeah. And I think like you talk about, yeah, you know, holding space for your darkness, like, Hey, yeah. people know that if you come to Aaron, like I got some space for you, you know, yeah. cause some of us, you know, some people just don't, you know, and that's okay. I think we all can get to a place where we can have space for other people as well. Yeah. Um, but it's very important that you let those around you know that, Hey, I've got some space for you if you need it. So. Yeah, exactly. And that is, and I think when I emailed you the other day, like I shared the Brene Brown quote about where the name of, you know, this podcast and, and my motto originated from, and it's about knowing your own darkness well, it helps you yeah. be present with the darkness of others. And I can confidently and comfortably say that, you know, I have dealt with my own shit to mm -hmm. the point where I'm like, I'm good. And again, I'm not perfect and I'll have my good days and bad days. And there's been stuff that I've had to address in the last 12 months that really kind of, you know, took me back a few steps. Um, but again, like you just, when you know that you're good and then you can have that capacity to hold that space or that darkness or whatever else for people, like, I think it's, it's just part of who I am and it's part of what mm -hmm. is my makeup and, and what, you know, you almost kind of feel guilty because I get such joy out of doing that for yeah. others. So. No, agreed. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, we will wrap it up there. Um, Mr. Travis Gribble, this has been an absolute honor. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm going to post in the show notes uh, a link to um, Travis's My Arena website. Um, go and buy merch. Um, if you can't buy merch from Travis, jump on the Overwatch Collective and go buy merch from them. If you are in a position and have the capability to donate, please donate to the Overwatch Collective. Everything you donate goes towards helping fund therapy, coaching, all of the services for first responders, military veterans and their spouses and loved ones. And it's a very worthy cause. And both Travis and I are behind them 100%. Um, so I will also post the link for um, your In the Arena podcast. Um, I will attach Travis's Instagram handle and information. So there will be all of the ways that you can get in contact. And equally, if you are interested in having Travis come and speak to your first responder community or your police department or anything like that, I really encourage you to reach out. All right. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Uh, this has been I Will Hold Space for Your Darkness. My name has been Erin Jane. And as always, let me listen in a way you've never been heard. Thank you.